May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Our three-and-a-half-year-old son, Jude, has entered the stage that we like to call a three-nager. He's a three-nager, which means that he has begun to, uh, to treasure his independence where he can find it. So the other day I told him that I had to drive to work and that he couldn't come with me because he wanted to come. And he said, well, I'll just drive myself. I said, well, you can't really put a shirt on without my help, so I don't think you'll be driving anywhere soon. But it points us to a larger reality about children and parents, right? The children are always more dependent on their parents than they can even know. Um, And I think as parents, we hope that one day our children recognize how much uh, we did for them, not out of a sort of selfish uh, recognition, but uh, so that they'll know how much it is that we love them. Um, And I think that there's a similar work at play in terms of our dependence uh, in the readings this morning, our dependence on God, um, who we are dependent on often more than we realize. This morning's gospel reading from St. Mark occurred as Jesus was returning to Galilee from the region of Tyre. And on his way, a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to Jesus. And the crowds wanted Jesus to lay his hands on the man. And notice that Jesus took him aside privately in order to perform the healing. I think this is a very humanizing element to the story because Jesus doesn't use the man as a spectacle or a token, but rather treats him as a person. And so he removes him from the spotlight and heals him privately. He puts his fingers in the man's ears. He spits and touches the man's tongue. And he pronounces, be opened. And immediately his ears and his mouth were opened. The man could hear and speak. Jesus urged the witnesses there not to tell anyone what they had seen, but the more he requested their silence, the more zealously they proclaimed his work. And the reading concludes with the crowd's pronouncement. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. This pronouncement has two echoes from the Old Testament. First, it's reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1, when God steps back from his creation and sees all that he has done and says, it is good. Second, the crowd quotes Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 to 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The significance of these two allusions put together in the mouth of the crowd is a recognition that Jesus is the same God who created all things, and simultaneously the Messiah who was predicted by the prophets who would lead God's people in a new exodus away from spiritual bondage and oppression. As usual in scripture, the thing itself that is depicted is about more than the thing that's depicted. So the deaf and mute man isn't just about the deaf and mute man. There's something deeper at work. The deaf and mute man's transformation on a literary level is a way of pointing out the transformation of the 12 disciples that occurs over the course of the Gospels. In the next chapter of St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, we get the miraculous feeding story. And in Mark's account of it, the disciples admit that they forgot to bring bread. 
and they're panicking over where they're going to find bread. If only they knew somebody. Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith. Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? The same disciples who lack confidence in the feeding story are the same disciples who become the first martyrs and saints of the church in the Acts of the Apostles. How do they undergo such a dramatic evolution? And I think the answer is in this morning's gospel reading. And I think however we would answer that is related to how we would answer the question, how is the, is the deaf man healed? He's healed when Jesus touches him. So how did the disciples become the men of faith they ended up becoming? Well, the answer is that they were transformed through their encounters with Christ. The word, our Lord Jesus Christ was present with them. And when the word speaks, he creates. Just like in Genesis 1, when God says, let there be light, there is light. And so when God speaks to those of us that have dead hearts, he creates life in them. This heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh, as the prophet Jeremiah foresaw. So similarly, God spoke to the disciples and he created a new life in them. In some ways, we can conclude the disciples who were present early in Jesus' ministry were not the same men who appeared in Acts boldly proclaiming Christ crucified. The deaf and mute man from this morning, then, is the template for that change. He's a picture of the disciples and their increased understanding of Jesus culminating in the rapid growth of the primitive church. However, that same change that happened in them then is the same change the word continues to affect in each one of us today. Have you ever noticed how much of the mass and the daily office in the prayer book is saturated with sacred scripture? The introit at the beginning of the service comes from the Psalms. We hear readings from the Old Testament, the epistle, and a gospel. We recite the creed together, which is not explicitly quoting the Bible, but it is nonetheless a summary of biblical truths. The sermon hopefully expounds on the readings and other propers for the day. The offertory is a scriptural quotation, as are the absolution and the comfortable words. And the words of institution in the canon of the Mass come straight from scripture as well. Our liturgical life together is saturated in the scriptures, reflecting the conviction that the Bible is important because it was given to the church by God. It is a means by which we encounter our Lord. The Mass has a beautiful bifold structure to it. The first part of the service, in which we are now currently, which begins at the Collect for Purity and it goes until the prayer for the whole state of Christ's church, is designed to house this encounter with God in the scriptures. Not only is Christ present in the readings and the preaching of the word, hopefully, but the Holy Spirit is there, stirring our hearts Godward, convicting us of sin, and calling to our mind deeply formative spiritual truths. The second act of the Mass, which is its culmination, is the Eucharist itself, where our Lord is present in the bread and wine, offering us his own body and his own blood 
for our food and drink. Scripture then prepares us for and actually is a part of a sustained encounter with the Lord in the context of the Mass. We come, deaf and mute, only for Christ to reach out and touch us. He unplugs our ears through the Scriptures and he loosens our tongues by giving us his body and blood. If we really, truly pay attention during the Mass, we come to the same realization as the titular priest in Jorge Bernardo's novel, Diary of a Country Priest, in the closing lines of the book where he says, Grace is everywhere. One of the major takeaways from our Gospel reading this morning, and I would argue from the Mass itself, is our helplessness. Note how helpless the deaf and mute man was. He was presumably born with his condition. He knew that nothing he could do could fix it. Not a better diet, not a better workout plan, not better physical therapy. Prior to his encounter with Jesus, I'm sure he had resigned himself to accept his fate. So what does the man do in the reading beyond receive the great gifts of hearing and speech imparted to him by our Lord. The poor man's dependence on Jesus is a spiritual picture for our helplessness, which came through in the epistle lesson this morning in 2 Corinthians. St. Paul demonstrates this when he placed his confidence purely in Christ. Not that we are competent of ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our competence is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. This same grace at work, the same grace at work in St. Paul is the same grace that's bestowed to candidates for holy orders in the sacrament of ordination. When the bishop lays hands on the priest to be and calls down the Holy Spirit to work through their ministry, receive the Holy Ghost for the office and work of a priest in the church of God, now committed unto thee, By the imposition of our hands, whose sins thou dost forgive, they are forgiven, and whose sins thou dost retain, they are retained, and be thou a faithful dispenser of the word of God and of his holy sacraments. The grace for St. Paul's ministry, and for all ministry, whether that be the sacramental ministry of a priest or a vocational lay ministry, comes from God highlighting the fact of our sheer dependence on him. It's what we acknowledge today in our collect. Almighty and everlasting God, who are always more ready to hear than we to pray, and are want to give more than either we desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of thy mercy, forgiving us those things whereof our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things which we are not worthy to ask, but through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. The deaf and mute man, then, forces us to recognize our utter dependence on God. Our very existence is only possible because God holds all things together. In him we live and move and have our being. Even if we can somehow get past our dependence when it comes to our existence, we have to realize that our redemption is also entirely dependent on him because he redeemed us when we owed a debt that we could not pay. The entire Christian life comes down to a continual recognition of this dependence. 
The Eastern Orthodox inculcate it through something called the Jesus Prayer, a short prayer that they pray over and over and over again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I'm told if you pray that enough times, you might actually start to believe it. Whatever else sainthood is, it's a perpetual recognition of this reality. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is also why the Blessed Virgin Mary is such an important biblical figure and such a significant symbol for Christians. She embodies this dependence in what we might call her active passivity. When she's confronted by the angel about her miraculous conception, she assents, be it done to me according to thy will. This is the model for all Christian life. God gives and we receive. God gives us himself in his son, Jesus Christ, and we receive him at the baptismal font. We receive him at the altar in the Eucharist. And we receive him in the absolution that's given in the confessional. As my friend Father Creighton says, the sacraments sanctify us, heal us, and prepare us to live as Christians in the world. The beauty of the sacramental system is that from an objective standpoint, God is affirmed as the giver and initiator, and mankind is affirmed as the recipient. Yet in the life of Our Lady, we are shown the value of cooperation. Our Lady is given the opportunity to cooperate with the Incarnation, and she says an emphatic yes. Therefore, the Christian life is in one sense the pursuit of this Marian receptivity. We are constantly presented with God's gifts, both in our own being and in God's gift of sacramental grace. Yet we are also constantly warring against the world, the flesh, and the devil, God presents us with an opportunity to cooperate with his grace. We are constantly being asked to say yes. Moreover, through cooperation and our willingness to be handmaids of the Lord, we become fruitful. Our Lady's fecundity in bringing forth Christ remakes Eve's disobedience and spiritual sterility. Thus, when the Christian says yes to God and cooperates in the spiritual life, he or she becomes capable of bearing much fruit. We are the deaf and mute man. We are the receiver of what God gives to us. In response to his offer, we can only say, be it unto me according to thy word. And as we see his grace play out in our lives, we can affirm with the crowds, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.